we're going to sing that song at the end again. I uh, really feel that's a song that um, kind of uh, is what we're about this morning. So we're really excited about this new season of EGALS. Um, I was telling them in the prayer room earlier that uh, when we were on holidays in Port Aventura, sorry to keep rubbing that in, girls. <laughs> but, um, you know, when we're down, every time I went down to the beach, the tide seemed to be coming in. And there was one or two days where I noticed the tide had come up further on the beach than I'd ever seen it before. And I just felt in my spirit that God was saying specifically for eagles that he wants to raise the level to something that we have actually never experienced before in eagles for this season. So at the beginning of this year, that's what I want to get across to you, that I believe God wants us to have more. I believe he wants to show us more of his grace, more of his ways, and more of his open doors. I believe he has stuff for us to do. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone just before we came out this morning. She was praying for, for us this morning. I know she's praying even now. And she said that uh, she was brought up down in, in um, uh, down to County Down, down at Torella. And she said they used to walk the beach on Torella. And in the wintertime, whenever there would be a high tide, that she always noticed that the high tide took away the debris, the rubbish that was lying on the beach. And I just sense that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to, he wants to, um, to, to do a work on us that's higher and, and would, would actually um, take away rubbish and stuff out of our lives because he wants to take you to another level. That's the bottom line. He has more for you and he wants to take you to another level. So our title today is, Who Helps You on Your Bad Days? Did you ever meet somebody and say, I have good days and a bad days? Well, who helps you on your bad days? Now, the other day, just yesterday, actually, William came in, and it was really strange. You know, William, recently, we've noticed, has been coming out with a few new words, words we didn't know we could say before. And uh, he came in, and he, 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 he had his hands, you know, together like that with the wrist, and he came in, and he threw himself down on his knees, and had his hands up like this, and he was kind of nodding Jane and me to come over. So we went over and realised he had, you know, those toy handcuffs. He had handcuffed himself. <laughs> so he was on his knees on the floor with the handcuffs up. And, and, he, and as we went over, he said as clear as day, help! <laughs> and I just felt that was like a prophetic thing. Because, you see, the enemy wants to tie you up and he wants to stop you from being free. And as you cry help, there's somebody there who wants to help you. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to, to get you up and going. So we're going to look, uh, first of all, I felt it was important that we kind of review, kind of look at the big picture as to what God has been saying to us from last September. Because we started off in the book of Hebrews and we reminded ourselves that the book of Hebrews was written. We don't know who wrote it. Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. We have a few guesses, but we don't actually know. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was writing to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people. And they were writing to uh, these Jews who were believers. They were writing to people who had trusted Jesus as their Messiah. Jewish people. And they were writing at a time when the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. And where there was still uh, animal sacrifice going on for sin every day. And these believers realised that the animal sacrifices, God had told them to do that in the Old Testament, but that that only pointed to Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah who had come to be the final sacrifice. And so they had trusted Jesus and it was only in AD 70 
that the uh, Romans came in and then burnt the physical Jewish temple to the ground. It doesn't stand there. It's not there any longer. But this book was written to these Jewish believers. And it was written to them at a time of change. Because already it was the first century, it was just after Jesus had gone back, and already persecution was on its way, and there was a sense of change. And the danger was that these Jewish people who trusted Jesus, that because of the persecution, they were thinking, maybe we can't stand this, and maybe we'll go back to the old Jewish ways, back to the old temple animal sacrifice. They were being tempted to go backwards because of the, of the, um, the troubles that were on their way. And I suppose as I thought about this, I, I wanted to put it out to you again. Are you, are you at this moment in your life, are you being tempted to turn back to old ways because of difficulties, because of change? Or are you ready to go forward and are you going to embrace the changes that God has brought into your life? Remember, God's the one who's in charge of everything and he knows all about those changes. So there's always a pressure from the enemy for you to turn around and to go backwards. And God says, no, I never made you to, to go backwards. I want you to keep going forwards. So this was the word to them uh, in the early first century to keep going, not to go back to the old ways, to the old Jewish religion. God does not want us to be tied up in religion. Jesus came to set us free that we could live in relationship with him. The second thing that we looked at over the last months was that Hebrews is a book that speaks an awful lot about confidence. And if you read through this book, you'll see that the writer to the Hebrews was telling them, look, it's not an option to go backwards. Don't be fearful. Don't be compromising. Don't be, going, don't be turned back and taking a backwards step. No, have confidence in me that you can keep going forward. And the first thing, and the main thing I wanted to say to you this morning was, have you got your confidence placed in Christ? Are you really trusting him? That's what Patsy was talking about. It's about when the difficult times come, are you going to put your confidence in God or not? And the enemy will constantly try to stop you from putting your confidence in God. The next wee heading I had down here was the word challenge. Because if you read through this, this book, and we have referred to it from September at different times, you'll see this little phrase repeated. Let us, let us go on. Let us encourage one another. Read through and you'll see how many times the words let us are there. Words of encouragement, words to get you up and going. And the question I want to ask you is this. The things that God's showing you through his word, are you actually putting those into practice? Are you, are you saying, come on God, I'm going to get up and do this? Are you sharing with people around you, come on, let's, let us do this? Because... I think it's so important that when we read God's word or when we hear it spoken about, and if God touches your heart and speaks to you, it's so important that you actually put it into action. There's no point in hearing it and not, not doing it. And God wants us to put these things into action. And then the final word that I wanted to put here was the word comparison, because the book of Hebrews is comparing uh, Jesus Christ, comparing all the stuff from the past, everything else he compares to Jesus. And he realizes and he tells the, the, the Jewish believers that nothing compares to Jesus Christ. He says that Jesus is better than all the Old Testament, old Jewish religion, that Jesus is better than the angels. Remember, the law was given to Moses through the angels. 
But Jesus is better than his angels. He's better than the priests that were in the Old Testament. He's better than the sacrifices, animal sacrifices. Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he gave of his own self, is so much greater. He's better than the tabernacle or the temple. And, and it tells us, if you read through Hebrews, it tells us that because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that we have better promises, a better hope, and a better covenant. A covenant is a legal agreement. And when you trust Jesus as your saviour, you enter into a covenant where legally you belong to him and where legally uh, you can't, that can't be broken. Now, in view of all of that, in view of all that the writer to the Hebrews is saying about Jesus, he's so much better. Why would these people be even tempted to turn back? And you see, I think sometimes we slip back and we're tempted just by what's around us and we listen to the lies of the enemy which is what Patsy was talking about those lies and we turn back and this writer of the Hebrews is saying even though their world was shaken even though things were changing the writer is saying don't turn back and if you were here the very last day before we broke up before Christmas you'll know that we talked, we read some verses in Hebrews 6 about how Jesus has already gone into heaven and we're already anchored to Jesus. Now that's the, that was what we left with uh, just before Christmas. That when you put your faith in Christ, you're actually anchored. The covenant is so strong that you're anchored to Jesus and that he has gone in before you and that he's the forerunner, he's the one who's gone before you and you're you're anchored with him. Now, this was really special to me over the holidays because on New Year's Eve night, uh, William and I were, we, William and I tend to spend those moments of coming into the new year together. And we quite like it just to be together. Jane goes on to bed and we just had those moments. And I had this picture, let me read this to you. I read this from John Maxwell's Bible. Here's what he says, a forerunner was a small boat that navigated its way through dark waters, connecting a rope from the mother ship to the shore, so the ship could dock without damage. Jesus is our forerunner, navigating unsafe waters ahead of us. He makes it possible for all his followers to make it home safely. And at the beginning of this new year, I just had this picture of me and William. I hear just imagine this. We're sitting up and we're looking at the TV and the, the, the countdown's coming. And we wanted to make sure we didn't miss and we didn't get the wrong moment. And we're praying in the new year. And I could just see us being anchored and Jesus already in heaven. And I could just see William and me connected to Jesus. And as we stepped through that door into the new year, I just found myself praying, Jesus, thank you. I'm anchored to you, and William's anchored to you. And thank you that you're already in heaven. And thank you that just as we go through, and I, I see it, I'm, like, I'm a bit sentimental. You see, when it comes to going into the new year, to me, it's like going through a door. And I just saw myself, and I could just say, God, thank you. And at that moment where everybody was shouting and they were come into the new year, I just said, thank you. We're stepping into 2017 with all that it has knowing that we're anchored to you and knowing that you've already gone into heaven and that we are safe and secure and we can face anything 
that 2017 hits us with because we're anchored to you. And that's, that's a moment that I think was very special to me. And I believe that that's the way God wants you and me to live. Knowing that we're anchored, knowing that he can guide us through everything. Now, having said all of that, the question is, who or what do you turn to for help whenever you feel that your world's being shaken? Because these believers, they felt that everything was being shaken. Do you get a sense that the world's shaking at the moment? Don't you? When you look around and you see moralities, you know, going to pot, when you look at, at political situations, when you look at the violence around us, when you, look, you know, look at the shift of values, even in my lifetime, when you look at the, the changes in family life, you know, when you just look at it all, when you see, you know, Brexit and Donald Trump and all these things that are just shaking the world, you realise that, that there's one person only who can't be shaken. And that's God. And that's who we put our hope in. That's who we're trusting. That's who we are looking to. So the question is, who or what do you turn to for help whenever you feel that things are shaking with you personally? Because I tell you, I'm, I have a sense that there's people in here this morning and there's a little bit of shaking going on with you. Remember we started this off last September? Remember we talked about, um, about a little bit of shaking going on, wasn't it Elvis? Uh-huh. Yeah. But God wants you and me to, to actually be able to cope with these things. He wants us to know that there's that He is in us and that He is unshakable. And as we as we think about this today, I just wanted to ask you, who do you turn to? And of course the answer I know we would all give would be we turn to Jesus. But you see, the thing is that Hebrews is, it describes Jesus as being our high priest. And the Jewish people, whenever in the Old Testament, whenever they got into trouble, when their world was shaken, whenever problems came, the Jewish people turned to the priests to help them. Because in the Old Testament, there were priests who, who worked in the tabernacle, and then later when the temple was built, they worked in the temple, and they, they sacrificed animals for sin, but the priest not only gave offerings for the sin of the people, but the, the, the priest was the one who knew the law, knew all that was written in the Old Testament. And they would answer all kinds of questions, just about any aspect of life. I mean, if you read through you know, Leviticus particularly, you'll see that there's Deuteronomy, Leviticus, those books are all about the practicalities of living. Because the people went in the Old Testament to the priest. If they had a, 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 a marriage problem, they went to the priest. The priest could give them all that God said. He knew the law and he could help them with marriage. He could help them in ordinary relationships. And, and all the relationships were actually all laid out there. Mother, son, mother, daughter, all of that. The priest could help them with, with health. There was directions given in the law about what to do about certain uh, health problems. Housing. They went to the priest about the houses. If the house was having it was damp or whatever, there was directions in the word of God. Isn't that amazing? God was looking after his people for all the practicalities of life. If they had problems with finance, they went to the priest. Crime. There was in the law. They went to the priest. He told them what was right. Any kind of decision making that they needed to make, they went to the priest to, for to help them. And so you see, the priesthood was very important. In the Old Testament, it was a centre to Jewish life, and uh, and and the, the priesthood 
came down through one family tree from a family, the, fa- the, the son of Judah, one of his sons was called, uh, one, not the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, one of his sons was called Levi. And through the family of Levi, through that family tree, all the priests came from the one family. And through Judah, another son of Jacob, all the kings of Israel came. So there was order, there was a way of doing it. And so uh, these priests were very, very important. They were central to life in the Old Testament. But you see, because they were just humans, because they were just sinful, the same as everybody else, they, were just, they needed to sacrifice for themselves because they needed forgiveness as well. They were just human beings and they were going to die and eventually they were going to have to be replaced. So the priests were very important in the Old Testament, but Jesus came in the New Testament and he came to be, to be a priest for us in a way that nobody could ever be before. And uh, there's something I wanted to say here to you, and it's kind of uh, important, and it's, it's, it's what theologians call the rule of, or the law of first mention in the Bible. And what they say is, and I believe it's perfectly true, that the first time a subject is mentioned in the Bible, take notice of, of what it says about that, because that's the standard, that's the pattern that God wants for that in every time it's mentioned in the rest of Scripture. So the very first time that the word priest is mentioned in the Old Testament is in relation to a man called Melchizedek. Say after me, Melchizedek. He was the first priest that was ever talked about. So this man, Melchizedek, is mentioned quite a bit in Hebrews. And he's mentioned for a purpose. Because this, this priest, Melchizedek, is the first priest who was ever mentioned in the Bible. And so when we, and we're going to look at him today, when we look at him, we're going to see something about the true priest that would come, Jesus Christ. Melchizedek tells us about Jesus. In actual fact, between you and me, I actually believe that Melchizedek was Jesus in a human body. Anybody else agree with me? Some people think he was, he wasn't, but I think he was. I think he's one of those times in the Old Testament where Jesus came. You see, that when Jesus came to Bethlehem, it wasn't the first visit to earth. The Old Testament gives us lots of, lots of, of uh, times when Jesus came in a human body. And I think this guy, Melchizedek, was actually Jesus. So we're going to look at this this morning and we're going to see what kind of a priest Melchizedek was and we're going to look at the story of Melchizedek. So it might be good for us to read the story, first of all, in Genesis uh, yeah, Genesis 14. I'm going to read you this story. We're all like a story, don't we? So let me tell you the, the, basically the background and then we'll read it in Genesis 14 and then we're going to... There's that much to talk about today. I don't know how I'm going to get it all in. So I think we we'll probably won't get it in. So we'll just get as much as we can in. And over the next wee while, we're going to really trust God that in these teachings in Hebrews, these are going to be real relevant to you. Okay, this needs to be relevant. We need to actually experience this in our own lives. So here's the story of Melchizedek. You see, Abraham had a, a nephew called Lot. And Lot and his family and Abraham's family were all together. And they, God was blessing them financially and they had lots of livestock and, uh, livestock and they were traveling around throughout the land of Israel. And one day, uh, because they were, they were being blessed so much, Lot thought to himself, 
there's not enough grass here for all my animals and, and for Abrams as well. So he decided, he made a decision. You ever make a decision? You ever make a decision that wasn't a very good one? Well, he made a decision that wasn't a good one. He decided he would leave Uncle Abraham and he would head off on his own with his family. And he looked around him and he thought, where's the best place? Abraham said, well, you choose whichever way you want to go. Abraham was the perfect gentleman. And he looked over and he saw away in the distance that there was a city called Sodom. And he decided, I'll go that direction because the grass looks greener over there. Do you ever feel the grass looks greener on the other side? So he thought, I'll go that direction because the grass looks greener over there. So off he headed and he split from Father Abraham. Well, he wasn't his father, he was his uncle. And over, you see, he was heading towards Sodom. And actually, it's interesting if you read it. Uh, over a period of time, he kept moving a little bit and he kept getting closer to Sodom. Do you ever notice that if you make a wrong direction, make a wrong decision to go in the wrong direction, you can just keep moving a bit. And as you go further and further in the wrong direction, you end up in a real pickle. Well, he ended up in Sodom. And Sodom was really, you might as well call it Sin City. It was the pitch like. It was awful. And so he ended up living in Sodom. And because he made a wrong decision, he ended up that a bunch of political stuff going on of course and some of these kings from different parts of Israel they all got together swooped down into Sodom and took kidnapped a whole stack of them including Lot and his family and took them off kidnapped them and took them off away up to the northern part of the country now Abraham heard what had happened and Abraham he had been worshiping God and getting on with life and doing things the way God was telling him to do it and uh, he was in a position to help, so he got his men gathered together. He had a little army of men that could fight. And they followed, the Bible says they pursued them. And they, they went right up to the north of the country and actually fought a battle and rescued Lot and the family. And on the way back from this victory, we are introduced to Melchizedek. So let's read the story from Genesis 14. And here's what it says. Okay, we'll read from verse, um, verse 14 of Genesis 14. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now if those of you who have been with us to Israel will know Dan's right up in the north. The tribe of Dan settled way up in the north of the country. And Abram divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobab, which is north of Damascus. So they actually went right into Syria, modern-day Syria, where all the fighting's going on. He actually went in there. So Abram brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the woman and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. So get this in your head. He's coming back, he's had this amazing victory, and as he's drawing near, coming on his way home, the king of Sodom, wicked place, he heads out to meet Abram. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, now remember Melchizedek's the, the, the guy that's the, I believe was actually Jesus in a body. Uh, king of Salem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness or king of justice. And Salem is the old ancient name of Jerusalem. Salem's the last part of it, Jerusalem. Salem. And Salem means peace. Peace. You never say that. Peace. 
That's my wee lisp getting in the way there. Not peace, but peace. <laughs> so Abraham is, is coming back. King of Sodom, that's wickedness, pure wickedness, actually a picture of Satan, coming out to meet Abraham. And Melchizedek, who is the picture of Jesus, the king of righteousness, the king of justice, the king of peace, he comes out and he meets Abraham first. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, professor, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So you see that Melchizedek came out, and he was carrying bread and wine. What does that remind you of? Jesus. Do you remember? Jesus said in communion, as often as you remember me, you break this bread and you drink this cup for what he did for us on the cross. So it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And actually, as I say, I actually believe it was one of those Old Testament times when Jesus was in the body of this man called Melchizedek. So we see that he was not only the king of Salem, but he was also a priest. Now you need to know that in the Old Testament, you were either a priest or a king. One tribe came from Levi, the other came from Judah. You weren't both. But you see, Jesus is both king and priest. And this man, Melchizedek, he was a king and he was also a priest. So he's a wonderful picture of Jesus. And it says he came out with bread and wine. And it says, and Abram gave him a tithe of all. Now, a tithe is a tenth of whatever you have. And we see that Abraham gave him a tithe or a tenth. Now, we're going to look at this more in a moment or two. Just enough to say that in the Bible, we are told that we should give at least a tenth to God. We actually should give him all we have. But the very least is a tenth. And, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't go by the old tithing system. You know, I just, uh, I'm free from all that. Well, you know, you're, you're free to give all, but you're not free to give nothing. And sometimes people say, oh, it's a tithe. The tenth doesn't matter. But the tenth's the least. And, and I believe it's important that we realise that God actually owns all of us. And that we have, yes, we have been given blessed. Hopefully we've all been blessed with, with enough finances to do, it, do us and enough to spare. But you see, God has a call on us to be generous. And we're going to look at some of those verses in a moment or two, hopefully. But you see that, that Abraham gave him a tenth of all, a tithe of all. And it says in verse 21, Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, so you got this, Abraham's in the way back. Melchizedek comes out first. King of Sodom, he was on the way. But Melchizedek got in there first. I want to tell you something today. That Satan is set to get you in so many ways you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe the strategies that Satan has against you. You wouldn't believe how many ways he's coming after you and Jesus intercepts. You see, you need to know that you have a great high priest. And one who loves you. And one who can break in before Satan even gets to you. And so this is an amazing picture of what Jesus is like as our high priest. 
So let me continue reading. It says then that after he had had this meeting with Melchizedek, that uh, Sodom, king of Sodom, suddenly arrives. And here's what, what um, the king of Sodom said. He said to Abraham, verse 21, Give me the persons. Now, some translation says, give me the souls. And take the goods for yourself. Some translations say, take the stuff, but give me the souls. You see, ladies, we need to remind ourselves that Satan doesn't care how much materialism we have. He'll stuff goods, he'll, he'll, he'll stuff materialism down our throats. <clears throat> but he doesn't want us to be interested in souls. See, Jesus Christ came that he would save our souls. He gave his life to save your soul and to save mine. What should it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so you, do you see the picture of the king of Sodom, picture of Satan, and how he's after the souls? doesn't care about the stuff. You can keep all the stuff for yourself, but don't, don't take those souls. And we see that Melchizedek has come out beforehand to, to strengthen and to prepare Abraham for this encounter with the king of Sodom. And so Abraham said, verse 22, But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. He said, I've already met with, with Jesus. I've already met with God. And I've put my hand up to him. And he's the one who possesses everything. And that's who my allegiance is with. He was ready. He was ready for this encounter with the enemy. Verse 23, and Abram says, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. He was ready. He was ready to overcome this temptation. There was a temptation here to take stuff God had him prepared Melchizedek had him prepared. And remember, Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus. Now, having said all of that, let's just look now at Hebrews and let's see what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 7. And I wanted to really make this um, as applicable to us uh, in this day and age that we might actually leave here today knowing that we have, that we have a, a high priest who is able to help us to get victory over temptation and to get victory over the enemy because we all know that Satan does not want us to live in victory. I really think it's important that we understand the value that God puts in our souls. You have a soul and I have a soul. I read a wee book over Christmas uh, called Soul Keeping. It's a really good book by John Ortberg, if anybody wants to read it. But he talks a lot about the soul. And I wanted just to mention a couple of things here. He says, um, you have a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. You've been created. God has made you a soul. What is running your life at any moment is your soul. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, well, what actually is my soul? And he says, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that brings together and gives life to everything that's going on in your life. 
the soul is the center of you. Your soul connects your thoughts, your sensations, your gratitude, your will, and it sends a message to your entire, your entire being. You can send that message to other persons as well. You can send it to God. You can say, you can look at the universe and say, wow, because you appreciate it. You can worship God through your soul. You can give a message to people around you through what's going on in your soul. The soul is really, really important. And we have a soul that needs to be saved. And when we trust Jesus as our saviour, our soul is saved. And God wants us then to keep things right. And the soul is that part of us that needs, with God's help, to be constantly cleansed and kept clean. And we can, we can come to God and we can come to Jesus, our high priest, and we can get constant cleansing and constant help so that we can actually live. Now, I believe our soul is that part of us. You know that part of you where you just, there's days you just don't feel right. You must just feel, you know, your emotions and what you want to do and, you know, you're doing what you don't want to do and you, you don't do what you want to do and everything's all upside down and you just think like things just aren't right. I think that's your soul. And I believe that God wants us to be so enjoying the truth that Jesus died to save our soul and to continually wash us clean that we can actually find our soul is at peace and our soul is stable. It's, you know those times whenever you're enjoying God and you feel like, like you're right and everything's right around you? Do you ever feel like that? Well, you just sense that God's in charge, that God's got everything. You're, there's nothing between you and God, and equilibrium is the word. You just feel, I am just in a good place with God. My soul's in a good place with God. I believe that's what God wants us to be like. I believe that's what he wants us, the way he wants us to live. And as you look around, we're living in a world where, where there's soul sicknesses everywhere. You see people and they're messed up in their mind and their emotions and everything's just out of sync. And you see, God wants us to know this place of, of our needs being met, that our soul is right. I, something I read recently, it says, it said, I wrote it down here, it said, um, the unlimited neediness of the soul. Our soul is unlimited. But here's the truth. The unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. Everything you need, God's grace is enough for you. Jesus is your high priest. He can touch your soul. He can help you. He's the one who says, come unto me boldly, the throne of grace, and receive all the help and need that you need. In time of need, I can help you and I can give you grace. God wants your soul to be settled. And I, I, I read somewhere that, there's a, that our soul craves we, do you ever notice that? There's something, a craving in us, and we don't know what it's for. The craving that's in us is a craving for God, and nothing or no one can actually satisfy that craving except God. And God wants us to find this place, this place where he is with us, this place where our soul is settled. Jesus came to this world to die for and save our souls. Sin disintegrates the way you think, your mind, Sin will even disintegrate your body. Sin is the plague that, that the world is contaminated with. But Jesus came to save us from that plague and to touch us and to satisfy our soul and to, to lead us forward into all that he has for us. 
I couldn't help but uh, think of a, of a story, a true story, of a man called Horatio Spafford. He lived uh, way back in the 1800s. I want to read this to you. Horatio Spafford invested most of what he had in real estate. He lived in Chicago and he lost everything in the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. The year before that he had lost his son who died of scarlet fever. He lost everything the following year then in the fire, lost his home. He had no insurance. He lost most of his money. And two years later, he put his wife and their four daughters uh, on, a, on a ship uh, heading to England. And Horatio stayed behind in America to do some business before he was hoping to join his family. A few days after the ship departed, he received a telegram from his wife. Here's what the telegram said. Saved alone, what shall I do? There'd been a shipwreck. All four of their daughters had perished in the sea. Horatio Spafford quickly boarded another ship to England. And as it passed over the very same place in the ocean where his daughters had drowned, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You see, even in the midst of tragedy, that man knew something of the peace of God in his soul. And it's important, the, the destiny, where our soul is going, is vitally important that we know that we're saved and that we're going to heaven. It's vitally important that you know your soul is going to be with Jesus. That's the destination, that's where you're headed. But you know what? It's important that your soul is well now. It's important that the condition of your soul is healthy. It's important that your mind and your will and your emotions and the decision-making in the centre part of you, it's important that that's settled and stable and God-controlled. It's important that you are at peace. It's important that you know who you are and that you can live this life the way God wants you to live it. And so what do we learn about Melchizedek? Let's turn to Hebrews 7. I don't want this to get heavy. I want it to be real. I want it to be meaningful. But I am going to read from the New Living Translation some of the stuff now about Melchizedek. And we'll just pick up as we feel God leads us. Our time's almost finished. My goodness, I'm just starting to read and it's time to finish. That's desperate. Okay, real, real quick then. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem, king of peace. He was also a priest of God most high. And when Abram was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, we've read about this, Melchizedek met Abram and blessed him. Then Abram took a tenth of all that he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. King of the king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. There's no, no records of this, of this priest. He was, I tell you, it was Jesus. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the ending. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognised this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. 
And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. I tell you, God wants to bless you. Jesus, your high priest, not only wants to help you, but he wants to bless you. He wants to intercept the things that the enemy would try and do in your life. He wants to step in and intercept and protect you and help you and be the one who's there for you. The priests who, who collect, actually I'm not going to take time to read all of that. Look, look, let's look right down uh, to, um, let's look right down to verse um, 16. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Ladies, as we prepare to leave this morning, I just want to say to you that you have... You have someone to help you on your worst day. You have a priest who knows everything about you and who knows everything that's up ahead and a priest who is there to help you in every situation. Now, I don't know what you think, but I think that's good news. And I believe that God wants us as we enter this new year, he wants us to live knowing that there is a throne of grace. Now, Jesus is not only the priest, but he's the king. You come to a throne the Old Testament was either one or the other. Go to the king or go to the priest. New Testament, Jesus is both. When you come to him to help you, you come to him as your priest who gave his own blood to die for you. He, he gave his own life a sacrifice for you, not only to save your soul and to bring you to heaven, but to give you this, this help that you need to live life to the fullest. Remember, Jesus said, I came to give them life and to give it to them more abundant. He wants your souls to be healthy. And as you start off this new year, he doesn't want you overcome with, with need and with grief. And He wants you to work through grief. I read somewhere recently the only legitimate uh, negative uh, uh, feeling, emotion that, that we have the right to have is grief. But that's, we're to work through it. It's not a permanent position. Every other negative emotion is not of God. God has made us to grieve. It's healthy to grieve, but it's not healthy to stay stuck in grief. God wants us to move through, and he wants to not only save our souls to take our souls to heaven, but to save our souls to live life well, to do it in, in relationship with Jesus himself, and that we would know him not only as our priest, but as our king, that we would know that we can come to his throne at any time, and that he's the king, and he can do what nobody else can do. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's your high priest. And he shed his own blood for you. And you know what? As we wind up today, I believe that he wants you to understand this. That not only is he able to lift you up after you fall. And if we're honest, every single one of us have fallen so many times, made wrong decisions like Lot. We've got ourselves into trouble. But you know what? Not only is he able to lift us up and get us up on our feet again, but here's the thing I wanted to finish with. He's actually able to stop you from falling. Now that, that takes it to a whole new level, doesn't it? That he knows your future and he can intercept, like Melchizedek, he can come in whenever you need him and you don't even know you need him. 
Abraham didn't know the king of Sodom was on his way out to tempt him. Jesus knows when the enemy's coming to tempt you. Jesus knows when the enemy's trying to set you up for a big fall. And Jesus is your faithful high priest and he can come and help you. Let me read this verse to you. In Jude, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling or from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now, now, ladies, and forevermore. Jesus is our high priest. He's not like a human being that's going to die and we'll have to get somebody new. No, he's with, he lives forever. He's going to, and he's there at every moment, 24-7, to stand there and to be your help and to guide you. And you know what? He's already paid the price for it. He's already died for your sins. He's paid the price for you to live and have a healthy soul. Isn't that amazing? I want to tell you a story and then I'm going to finish. This morning, whenever we came out of the house, we all sailed down the Guildford Road and went down to the roundabout and realised it was all closed off because it's closed off flush place. And Jane in front of me and me in another car, we all realised it was a big long detour to make. And we were detouring all around the place. And as I was driving this detour, this thought came to me. Life is like that. You can do things the long way and the hard way, or you can do it the easy way. And I just thought how so often, and in my life I look back and I see I made so many detours that actually weren't that necessary. Wrong choices, went the wrong direction, and just made a big long loop for myself. And then I started to think about how God has already done so much for us. How actually, I am already placed where God wants to bless me. You're already placed through the blood of Jesus, through the price that Jesus paid for you on the cross. You're already placed in the place of blessing. And then another wee thing came across my mind. Last Saturday, William and I went to the shops, went to Tesco's on our own. Dear, I hope Jane's not listening to this because she'll be thinking don't let them out on their own. <clears throat> so, I haven't told her this yet, but we, we were kept up to the shopping and we went into the lift and a wee man came running up and he was a bit late and he hopped onto the let him into the lift with us. So we're standing and we're waiting for the lift to go down and all of a sudden I thought, we're standing here not for a long time. Then I thought, I mustn't have pressed the button. So I leaned over and kind of apologised and pressed the button. So as soon as I pressed it, just like that, the doors flung open. So I thought we hadn't moved, you know, I thought that somebody else had... So I looks out and there's two or three people standing outside and I says, we're just going down. And, <laughs> and I thought, I thought that he said, um, I thought that he said, are you going down? And I said, yes, yes, we're going down, we're going down. And then he looks over and he says to me, you are down. <laughs> Telling you, I did a Redner girls. I went out and I was in there. I'm going to oh, mortified, mortified. <laughs> but you know what struck me with that story? Jesus has already got you in position. You're already down the lift. You're already in the position. God wants to bless you. What's wrong with you if you just don't trust Him? What's wrong with you that you're turning this way and that way instead of stepping out and saying, God, you've got me. You've got a hold of me. I'm anchored to you. God, you're taking me forward. Sure, you'll take me through all this trouble. Sure, you'll make a way and you'll take me through. Is that not the truth? And yet so often I know that there's difficult situations. I know there's painful things. I know all of that. But I'll tell you, I know a high priest 
who can come and comfort you and give you the help that you need and take you through whatever you're going through and take you into all that he has for you. His name is Jesus. He's the faithful one. Your king, your saviour, your husband. Imagine, we're his bride. He's the one we belong to and he wants to take us forward. Father, thank you that you are faithful. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us and who, who speaks to us again and again. Help us, O oh God. Help us to put into practice what you show us. Help us to learn from your word. And help us, Lord, to step out in obedience and in faith to trust you to take us through whatever we're going through at the moment. And Lord, at the beginning of this new year, may, may this year, Lord, may we see your hand moving in our lives in a way that we've never experienced before. Lord, would you bring up a new tide, a new level in our lives of knowing you and trusting you and experiencing your blessings. And help us to be those, Lord, that will overflow and the blessings will flow to those around us. Father, help us to be women who receive from you, but women who not only receive the blessing, but become a blessing to the people around them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. We're going to sing that same song over, ladies. I ask you to stand. The words of it are in the back of your sheet. Let's really sing it, because we do need, we do need this, this um, saviour. We need Jesus. We need him. And he's the one who, who can help us.